Hi guys, and welcome back to Failure at 40. I'm Winnie the Producer. And I'm Chilly the Life Coach. And today we're speaking to Justin Williams. Justin is 45, he has three boys, he's a creative teacher by day and has various side hustles. Justin lives in South London. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, Justin. Welcome. So good to have you on with us today. I am excited to start talking with you two. Are you honest? Perfect. Well, on that note, let's just jump straight into our questions. So remember, this is more of a conversation. Thinking back to your 20s, 30s and 40s, taking us along that journey, your story. Let us know a little bit about what your expectations of turning 40 were. Um, so like when you're growing up and you see like your uncles turning, you know, your older members turning 40, you think that 40 is like a really old age. You think it's a, a age that, you know, you're like, you're coming towards the end of your life, really. It's like Pre- old. prehistoric old. You can't, you're prehistoric at 40. You know, you can't dance anymore. You know what I mean? You can't <laughs> hold your drink. You know what I mean? And, and when you're in your 20s and you see your uncles turning 40, you think it's kind of close to the end. You think that they're, you know, they're old, but actually it's, you know, it's not really that, that old. I said some of my uncles are quite close to me in age. So it's a whole different setup for me. And then. But they call them themselves old. Did they actually say they felt old well, they, or were people calling them old? Well, you know, in Caribbean culture, the whole thing is I'm a big man for you. A man can be two, <laughs> two years older than you. <laughs> <laughs> Was two years older than you. He tells you, I'm, "I'm big man for you." Yeah. So, so when my when my uncles and them were telling me that they're forty odd, yeah, I know in myself that you might think that you're big time granddads for me. You understand? So, from my standpoint, it was really um, seeing them, and I've grown up. I'm the first um, grandchild as well. So, I've I was the first one that came and followed off the trail of my mum was the first one to have a kid so you know I've kind of grown up in that thing so seeing them turn to that age when I was like in my 20s um the first set the older set it was like you're old you know and then when I got to my 30s and they were turning the rest of them the younger ones were turning 40 even though it's only 10 years it feels like it's quite a big gap between 40 uh, 30 and 40 but that is I think that's a societal perception that, you know, you get to 40, then you've got 25 years to retirement and then you're dead, basically, because people think you die. Uh, and really, 40 is halfway through. And if when you're in your 20s, you think 
I'm a quarter way through. It makes it a little bit easier to digest and understand that 40 is definitely not an old age at all. It's not old at all. So for me, that was a thing. Um, yeah, for me with the 40 bit, that was uh, something that I looked at. It did feel like it was older. What did you think 40 would look like? Did you have like aspirations and dreams of what 40 year old Justin would be doing and where he'd be living? And No, I, you know, I've got to be honest, I, I didn't think I was going to get past 23. Um, just because of the area that we grew up in, the things that were going on, the gangs, the level of violence that we was exposed to at a young age that we saw around us, the people that were dying around us. Um, we did. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Broccoli. Um, I grew up on an estate, a uh, Turnham estate, which they knocked half down, then they put houses in there. But it's pretty much where Broccoli is. It's a really interesting area because you've got Peckham on one side, you've got Newcross on one side, you've got Lucian on one side, you had Forest Hill, uh, Sydenham on the other side of it. Um, and then obviously you've got Brixton, you know, further west. Um, so every, all the gangs travel through there, basically. If you're going somewhere, it's like a, a bypassing route um, either side. And even within there, even within Broccoli, it had its own ecosystem. So the boys from Crofton Park that we used to get on with, and then you had the guys down the bottom um, that we call them the Breakspear lot, they, that side of Broccoli, where crime was just a normal thing. Well, where we lived, we had a youth club and we had a venture playground. So we had things to keep us occupied. Um, during the day but as I said like you're talking about generational crime you're talking about your big brother was a criminal your uncle was a criminal and your your, your mum sells drugs your dad sells drugs or your cousin sells drugs so you had a whole set of of people that are young men young men and women that were drawn to that lifestyle and, and one of the biggest things that saved us was a guy called Thomas Joseph who worked um in the youth club for you know for many many years and did a lot to help us in our community and it was key for me with him that he wrote, um, he wrote a letter when I nearly went to jail. I was, you know, I got caught up in some foolishness. I nearly went to jail. And he wrote a letter to say, if this young man goes to jail, you know, it's going to affect a big part of the community. He gave me my first job working in a community center. You can't have, you know, somebody like me who is, who's made a mistake, but I'm not a bad person like that for say, I'm not a murderer or anything to be going to jail. I mean, that example for all of those young kids that I look after and, I, and I've worked with in the youth club would have been devastating for them. So he wrote that. And that was part, pretty much him and God that um, saved me from, from going to jail. But it was a, it's a really harsh reality growing up and seeing dead bodies when you're like 12 and stuff. Because then the police never used to cover the bodies up. They used to just wheel them out. So imagine you're like, 12, 13 years old and they're wheeling dead bodies out and you know that your friend's uncle's been killed or, or someone else has been killed or it's a pretty harsh reality to really grow up and see past 23 um, and even consider 40 at any point, especially when I was like, you know, 16 and all that. I couldn't see past it. What about the things that your family wanted for you? How did that transpire and translate into your life? Well, you know, obviously my mum's a professional. She's a radiographer, worked really hard, qualified. Um, my dad wasn't around when I was younger in, in the extent that uh, I, I, I can't say I ne never saw him, but he was never around. He was never a supporting influence when I was growing up. 
it's not to say that the, 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 some people have the cards stacked against them and they can still survive. But for me, it was a really difficult in that situation. And my mum never understood it. Like my mum did not understand like the pressures that I was on from externally, um, from the, 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 the culture and what was going on on the roads, as they would say now. And also the expectations from the home life. And then also the pressure from um, the discrimination at school. So, you know, I, I weren't interested. So by the time you got into your 20s, yeah, you've left school. Yeah. What for you were your prospects? And what were you seeing for yourself? Nothing. I was just on a hustle. I was just on a hustle. I literally was just hustling. I was literally, I had a job by then. I got a job. I had my first job in the youth services, I said. And I was doing that on the weekends. And then um, I got a job in a supermarket and I had another job and I was doing little bits and bobs. And on the side, I'd get bits and I'd buy something off someone and then sell it for something else. Never got involved in drugs or anything like that. But um, was always people always had things like computers or laptops or something. And I'd be like, oh, I'll take that. And then I'd sell it on for a profit. So I was always doing a hustle and I never really saw, looked far ahead of me, to be honest. I never saw what I really expected 40 to look like. Then I got to 25 and I'll never forget this big party because it was like, <laughs> it was you like. You made it. You got to 23. I've got to 25. <laughs> So, wow. so my 25th birthday party was like how people have their 40th. I had white suit, brought my little, sneak my little brother into the nightclub. Do you know what I mean? And then it's <laughs> like, oh, then 26 came, then 27. And you're like, oh, you're, oh, okay. Maybe you need to start doing stuff now. And, you know, before you look, you're 30. And then, I mean, the biggest, the biggest change for me was my son, to be honest. That was the catalyst for me to really think about what I need to be doing in my life from 30 to, 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 till now. I made sure I had a good lot of partying done before I had my kids. So were you ever in a relationship along that journey before you got to 40? that made you think, okay, this is what I want to have by a certain time. Did that, was there anybody special? That situation for me was very difficult because my son was already born um, and you, you make a decision to be with someone, but it's just not quite right. I never thought that me and the mother of my child would break up. That wasn't something that I was anticipating. And so being in this relationship with someone that I really loved and could have probably you know, probably be married and whatever, what now, but it's, I needed to concentrate on my family, on my kids, on my boy, and then also look to really um, move forward and see whether I could, is there a possibility for that to work? Because, you know, I don't want my children to grow up without a father, you know, in the home or whatever, whatnot. And it, it and then, so I left that situation uh, quite painfully, quite disruptively, um, and pursued being more of a father for my kids. 
So do you think that your vision transpired with each step, sort of your life formulating your vision starts to unfold rather than it was a set plan from the beginning? Yeah, because society gives you an idea of what you think you're supposed to be doing by certain certain ages. But really and truly, what does that mean? They tell people that, that they'll say to you, you're whatless, could you still live in your parents' house? Yeah? So what you might do is you might go and rent somewhere and pay £1,500 out of your own money because you don't want to feel whatless, but you'll never be able to afford a house. You'll never be able to have a legacy to leave behind for your children. So I won't do that. And is it fair to say maybe some of the society expectations that they maybe tell us we can kind of measure ourselves by are maybe not the same for everybody? Yeah, that might be for certain people within society. Yeah, other people potentially may not have certain things in place to even aspire to certain things up by certain ages or even have those things or complicated yeah. things. Yeah, so, I, so I, I have a massive thing around generational wealth. Yeah, and I've spoke about it before. My, um, my grandma's not here. My grandma took her money, made her money here and went back to the Caribbean. So when my mum was here, my mum is a first mover now. She's not a second mover. She's a first mover. So she's having to start from scratch again to find her feet, start again with a young son, who's me, and then try to uh, navigate the world that she's around and make a better life for herself. Some people, their grandparents and their great-grandparents are here and have inherited life insurance, homes, uh, property, wealth, that has gone down two, three, four generations. I can't compete with you, brother. I can't. There's, this, it's, it's impossible. What I do know is that the legacy that I'm leaving for my kids now, they have a home with their mum that, that I was part of getting. Their grandma has a home. I'm probably going to buy another house as well. So they, they will have free properties or more by the time I pass away, which then means my grandchildren will have eight properties by the time I pass away. They will have my life insurance money. They will have their grandma's son, their granddad's life. In- Do you understand? So that situation now creates uh, uh, not a level playing field, but it gives you an opportunity to be able to do more things. So now where you don't have no savings now, you look in your bank and you've got, 50 grand that your granddad left for you or a hundred grand that your dad left for you from his life insurance. What, what, what would, what would a hundred grand do for you right now, Shelley and Winnie? My God. Yeah. And <laughs> it changed my life. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying to you. So mm-hmm. it, if, but imagine getting a hundred grand when you're 20 or 30. Which lots of people do. Yes, they have trusts where they're yes. able to tap into and, and, like you say, set up their lives so that the next generation are also set up. But it's not very many black people, people in the black community have. So it's more likely and more realistic to think certain people from different backgrounds are mm. able to aspire some of the norms that society is setting. Mm-hmm. But, but what we don't understand is so, some societies are not including 
people who look like me and you, let's say. I think that my generation or this gen, this the ones that are coming up to that are leaving forty and going to fifty, we're, we're a lot of us are breaking ground. Um, we're, we're groundbreakers. We will not. I have one hundred percent decided in my own self that I may not enjoy the fruits of my labor, but my grandchildren will, and that I, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Like, I don't mind not being able to retire at 50 and be able to sit on the beach living off property and rental income that I've inherited from my my parents and my grandparents. You know, as much as, you know, you want no situation. I don't want my mum to die. You know what I mean? I don't want my mum to die. I I want my mum to be here. I want want to enjoy. I love my mum. So I I don't want to be in these situations where, uh, you know, people have this idea, you need to be here by, by there. And if not, you're whatless. It's ridiculous because the, the starting point is different. Do you think if you were born um, or grew up in a different environment that you may have different, a different vision? I know it's hard to maybe particularly say. I, I, think, I think for me, if my grandparents were here, I think I would have grown up differently. I think that that is... Like, I don't think I was, uh, what I did, um, I must, well, my workplace was doing trauma training and talking about what happens to children that they, they don't, they don't realize what's happened to the child, but things are traumatic that the child can't explain, but they change the way that their, the outcomes of their life just from an emotional response. So imagine I've had my grandparents my whole life. My grandparents have moved to Jamaica. I no longer go and stay at my grandparents every weekend. I no longer um, have the ability to to really engage in spending time with an older generation that can then impass uh, information onto me. I then can't go to my grandma and say, grandma, can I get some equity out of your house to buy my first property? You know what I mean? Her children, my uncles and aunts, they are not in a position to be able to take equity out of their grandparents. They are starting from scratch. So their children will benefit, their, their grandchildren, their children's children will benefit. But right now, I feel like in my family, the people that were here, that were, that um, my aunts and uncles, they're all groundbreakers. It's their, it's their grandchildren that will benefit from all their hard work now. So if you had your, your first son at 30, he changed the vision for what you thought future should be now. You, you've got this son, you want to create gener- generational wealth for him. How did you change your outlook and, and therefore affect your actions? The first thing, my friend's got a really good saying. He said, you can't tell them, you've got to show them. You know, people tell you don't smoke, but they smoke. That doesn't make sense. You know, <laughs> if you look at most households, if people smoke, their kids smoke. It's just facts. You can't tell them not to smoke and you smoke. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so what I did is... Education has always been important to me. So I, um, I went to university. That's the first thing I did. I thought when he's little, he needs to see me graduate. He needs to come to the university with me and my gown and my big hat and look at his dad and be like, Rod, this is what my dad did. He's got that picture up on the wall that he sees every time he walks past it. So he knows that my expectations on education are high 
because I can't just tell him to go to school and do well. I need to, do, I need to show him um, that I did well, that, that you can, that, that I did well. So you can do well, you have to do better than me. Um, I also, it also inspired me to write the, my book that I wrote, um, Destination or Destiny. The book was actually called uh, Brothers for Two, uh, Brothers Together, Love for Two. And it had their face on the, the, um, the cover when I first started designing the book. And then it just turned into Destination or Destiny. And it was more about me showing them that you can achieve anything. Like, you don't have to be, you know, Agatha Christie to write a book or the lady that writes, anybody can write a book. What was the book about? Oh, it's a series of short stories and poems um, based around life, love. And is the, the biggest question is, is your life, as we're talking about, uh, destination? Is it somewhere you're going or are you just destined to be there? Are you, is it just timing? Right. Because, yeah, because I think a lot of people, there's two, not two types of people, but there's, you know, but a lot of people set out on a destination and get there. And a lot of people just might be on a bus and bump into the love of their life. They never planned to do it. They never get, got up in the morning and decided that that was something that they were going to do. It just happened to be um, destiny. And I think that that's, um, probably key in a lot of adult thinking. The people that set out on destinations probably are more successful in life because they have a plan and they have a focus and they have somewhere that they're going. I think it's destiny is more for people that are a bit more carefree and it's more fun. It's more surprising. There's nothing like walking down the street and finding a tenor on the on the floor <laughs> when you was broke. <laughs> When you was broke and you needed that tenor, you find it before you're like, yeah, well, some people just want to work towards that tenor. It feels random. It feels random. You're like, is this, this mine? Is this for me? Yeah. <laughs> 20 pound. Yeah. Random. You know, and, and, I, and I think that in, also with that, growing older and getting to, you realise that a lot of things are synchronised in your life. Like, you didn't expect to go or be in that position. Like, when did you think that you were going to end up doing a podcast and it's just manifested itself and people, when you start doing stuff, people then come to help you to, to help you achieve this, what you're in. Cause you never woke up and yeah, yeah, this is something that I'm definitely going to go and do. It's, it just, some things just happen. And I think that as you get a little bit older, you realize that there's this whole kind of, energy around you where you think to yourself there's people that you speak to now that you would have never spoke to when you were 20 and there's people you spoke to that you were 20 that you wouldn't dare have them in your life now ever 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 ever. (laughs) that's the truth never ever when you see them the hello you give them is that hello when you're turning hello as you're going away Oh my God. It's that hello, because you don't want to talk to them. And and as adults get into 40 and going like from so from 30 to 40 for me was more was about growing up. I'd never grown up. I never thought I was gonna live that long. So did you have to re you had to reshape your life now because actually you've gone part I remember I used to think 
the year 2000. That was that was the end, innit? That was mm. going to be the end. And Y2K. I don't know, Everything was shut down. <laughs> I, everything was shut down. But then I remember waking up the day after, going, oh my God, we're still here. What, got, yeah. what now? What yeah, now? Yeah, what now? What now? Oh, oh, your computer stopped working. So what? <laughs> it didn't even <laughs> stop working. That's no, no, it was rubbish. It was rubbish. And, and, and that was like, as I said, I got to my 25th birthday and I was like, oh, what now? And I spent five years like having the most fun I could ever possibly have. And then once my son came, I was like, you got to be serious. Like, and from that point, I mean, he turned 16 in three weeks, four weeks, in four weeks. And in that 16 years since he's been born, I've done so much. So does he, has he become the vision? Well, yeah, because I've done, I dedicated my life to him. You know, he had a, an, he's a really talented footballer. So when we realised he had that talent, I spent a lot of the time being the dad that I never had. And that's a, that's a topic that people don't realise as well, is be the dad you never had, you know. And I'm the dad he, I, I never had for him. And if I think that what I've achieved in the last, whatever, 16 years, if I'd achieved it earlier, um, yeah, maybe I could have, but I would have had to have a different start in life. Hmm. So are we saying your expectations potentially have been carved out by your environments, whether it was your external environment, your, your internal environment? Or the situations that you've lived in, what's happened to you? Yeah, because my mum, my, my home environment, my mum's always, I mean, one of the big things that saved me from really being in a lot of trouble was my mum moving off the estate and buying a, how, a, a house. And if I can tell you the kicking off that I did for her moving, like, you're moving me away from my friends from the block, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you moving me? Oh, no, we've got to get... So she... I don't think she knew what she was doing, but I know that she wanted better um, for herself and for me. And she didn't see anything getting better where we lived. And I think she knew what would have happened to me in the long run. Um, so that was a change. So from a home perspective, yeah, um, I, the driver's always been here for me to be successful in life. The external is what's been a massive problem. And I also, you know, not to, you know, lay blame anywhere, but not having a, a far, a real dad is massive. It's huge. I don't think people realize, especially for boys, and I'm going to say this, especially for boys, not having a real dad. So you've, you, you can imagine all my friends, single parents, there's no, there's not a, a dad in sight, not even a boyfriend. What's their kind of outcome being for them? They're the same as me. They're the same as me. You, 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 you look at your friendship group. Remember, they say you, you, your friendships, the people that you are, are friends with, are normally earning the same money you do. Failure forty. Failure at forty. I'm just wondering what. 40 looks like now what your 40s look like in, in the last 10 years all the things you've been able to build for your boys to be able to have this this start in life that you didn't have what where are you with it all 
Um, I think I'm doing a pretty good job supporting my kids, to be honest. Um, Wealth-wise, I've probably gone more along the lines of working towards supporting them. Like they've got a house with their mum, we've got a house here. I'm probably going to get another house. Um, but it's, I've, I think that the time that you spend with educating them, so what have I exposed um, my kids to? So they've seen your dad. So, you know, how many kids can go to school and say, your dad's an author, your dad has his own clothing line, your dad does this, your dad's on podcasts, your dad's on telly, you know, your, your dad's got good friends around him. The people that your dad gets to meet, they're nice people. People come here, you know, that people show love all the time. I go out, they're like, oh, dad, you're like, the little one, the middle one, little big man, he goes, dad, are you famous? And I'm like, no, I'm trying to show you that when you're good with people, you can definitely get a better life with, you know, other people. You can live a good life with people just through being good and just being talented and being able to show your talents. You know, and that's, I think that that's important. And I think another thing, I mean, that maybe, you know, listeners might not know is that you are a very hands-on father and, and not like just a, you know, a co-parent, but you're almost very much doing the main carer role as well. And I think um, this is something that a lot of, a lot of our fathers don't get praised for, who are actually stepping in almost as much as mums are stepping in. Yeah, my boys are pretty much... The big one pretty much lives with me now. He's here all the time, especially because he's football. Um, so he spends a lot of time and, and little big man goes in between me and his mum. So um, there's that whole thing going on. But I mean, I think you need to be a present dad. And just because you don't, you have no relationship with the, the, the lady or your partner or your ex-partner, you don't have to create a level of animosity or a level of, of conflict, you can co-parent without beef. And to be honest, I mean, me and my boy's mum, we're fine. Like, we get on, we talk, we have a laugh outside the house when they're dropping them off. She still thinks I'm funny. Like, we run jokes, you know what I mean? It's, it's so amicable and respectful. But the kids being able to see that makes their life easier as well because they're like, oh, mum and dad, get on. You know, it, it, it creates things. I wish we were able to do it together. I'm not going to lie because then you have uh, a more balanced view. So when mum, you know what mums are like, and this is what dad's like in the home. So they could have seen that in their house, um, you know, with two parents, but they've got, you know, her grandparents, uh, her parents are together. So they see what happened. They've seen couples. So I think that's another important thing as well as like, what couples do you have in your life? Like how many weddings do you have in your, your life? I'm 40 now. Like I think, I've been to like two or three weddings, you know, in my family, not everybody gets married. And that's, that's another thing, you know, that's another thing that, you know, you're supposed to be married by your biological clock is going by. You need to have kids by the, the time is, um, the time is, you know, uh, everything has this time emphasis. And due to that, it just really makes it difficult to, for some people, they feel that pressure to really want to do things by a certain time. And then what happens when you do it by that time? Then what? And I mean, you, go, you kind of go across against the stereotype of fathers not being present. And, and I think often that's, that narrative is pushed towards 
not just our community, but the outside communities, that black fathers are not present. And this has an impact on young black boys, um, the way that females are interacted with. And I think that's something more that I want to talk to you about, just the way that you interact with the children's mother um, and able to have that language that works for you, both raising the children and then what they see, because they're, they're boys as well. And can you just give us some tips on what's worked well for you in, in developing that language to be able to interact well with mother? Um, okay, so one of the things that I always said, so when she was pregnant, yeah, one of the things that I said when she was pregnant was, I, I will be Darth Vader. I will be the Darth Vader of the relationship. You don't have to do the, the, stuff, the horrible stuff. I will be the punisher. I, I will do that. That was an agreement that we made from, so you can just concentrate on the nurturing and the loving and this, that, and the other. When we separated, it was the same thing. And one of the things that they, they tried to do, the both of them was when they were with their mum, they tried to take liberties. That, so he's with his mum trying to take, you know, try to do certain things. So I just told her straight. So I used to just go down there and bust his head, like straight. I'm not even playing, especially the big one. He's just going to bust his head. I said, if your mum has to phone me, yeah, if your mum has to phone me, yeah, because you're not behaving, I'm busting your head. So just go down there and bust his head. And you know, the interesting thing, she'd phone me, and then when I turn up, she'd get upset because it's her child at the end of the day. So she used to leave the house. Cause I'm not, I'm not, not, I'm not. I'll just do the Darth Vader. I'm going to bust his head. I'm going to bust his head. If you made me come from where I am, drive to where you are, cause you, you're not listening to your mom. Ah oh, man, you're getting your ass whooped. Sorry. Does that work? Though? How's it working? Do you, do you feel like you're a bit? Oh no, but they're big now. I don't have to. They're big now. But it, it worked because we, she used my support. And, and a lot of times with, with, with the mums and the dads having this conflict is they're competing. I suppose she, she still allows you to... She allows retain, me to be their dad. But she allows you to retain your power as well. I That's think sometimes right. a lot of women take the power out of dad's That's hands right. and then yeah. they themselves try to become that power. And they can't, you, just, right. you can't manage it both. No. And, 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 and for me, it was a lot to do with she allowed me to still be the dad, even though we weren't together. So it would be like, I'm going to call your dad still, even though I went in the home. And that, for a child, and then to know that your dad's going to get in the car and bust your head has a, a different effect on the child's behavior in the home. Now, if the mum tries to, I'm an independent woman, I don't need him to come and look after me and I can do all of my own. When he's 16 and 18, and he's towering over you, telling you to shut your mouth. Then you want to phone the dad and be like, can you come and help me? He's not interested. Because you're supposed to co-parent. I don't care whether she slept with your best friend and your uncle. Yeah? You've got a child together. I'm just honest. <laughs> You've got a child together. Make it work. Couldn't they just stop at the friend? No, <laughs> I'm just being real. <laughs> I'm just being real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being real. Make it work because at the end of the day, the child is on. You are going to destroy that child. They talked about this trauma thing. 
You're going to destroy that, that child. And that child, traumatized child, is going to become a traumatized adult, imbalanced because of the relationship that you and this woman have, or the woman and the man has. You know, could not saying it's one-sided or the other. It's the same. Make it work. Yeah? Because you don't have to be friends, but you need, you got to pretend that you're friends in front of the kids. That's another thing. You don't have to be best friends, but you need to show a united front against the kids. You know? It's, it, and I think that that's, I think that's, that's something, especially with that, the generation of women that were like, I can do it all by myself thing. I think that that, really killed um or damaged a lot of young 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 people that grew up in that household where that was going on personally i remember i work in schools so i see it i see what happens to the child when the mum and dad don't communicate or have you know the mum's calling the dad a pum pum or whatever it is that they want to say to them it is really important that the whatever the adults do is separate to what the kids do, what you show the kids. The adults are the adults and the kids are the kids. Do you also think that there is this notion that a lot of um, partnerships don't look at themselves as being having the ability to survive? So lots of young people, adults are getting together with a notion that this is, this is supposed to be a movement thing. Like I know this isn't gonna last. I'm only going to be here for a minute. And then when I see your mate, I might try and check in with her because this is only supposed to be for a minute. There doesn't seem to be any longevity in vision for young people today. Even adults, not even young people, adults. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, all right. So, so this is what I, this is how I think about it. What, what did you see in your life? What did you grow up with? Now, if you saw longevity growing up, what are you going to strive for? If you grow up with a single mum, what, what you think single mum's normal. Do, do you think that that is not going to happen to you? So if your mum's single and there's no man in that, because remember also as well, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone and just, an, uh, just, just for argument's sake, if I'm dating a girl and I go to her house and she has a mum and a dad, yeah? My expectations for that relationship completely change. If I go to her house and she's just got her mum, yeah, but uh, there's no male influence or there's no male thing. The way you, I, I'm not like that, but I'm saying the way that some people interact with that is a completely different kind of thing. If you go into the house and the dad says to you as a man, what are your intentions for my daughter? Like, what are you trying to do? And sit you down as a man and be like, I know, look, you've a daughter, you fancy my daughter, look, if you're going to be here, this is the expectations. She might not have those expectations of you, but our family does. And then you go and you meet the uncle and the uncle's married and the cousins are married. So you know that that whole track is laid out ahead of you. So anybody with not the right intention is not going to stay in that situation because you know what the intentions are, what you, what the expectation is of it. And you immediately feel the pressure of what's expected. You immediately feel the pressure of what's expected. So you, you either stay and make it and make it work or leave because you know that you're not going to be able to meet those expectations. But also as well, it's a lot to do with the conditions that you meet people as well. I think the pe- the girls that I met when I was in my twenties are completely different to the girls that I met when I was in my thirties. Completely different to the girls that I met when I was in my forties. I mean, that's massive. 
uh, contrasting. And your mindset uh, is different. I can't speak for all men, but my mindset when I was 20 is completely different to my mindset when I was 30 and my mindset when I was full and the mindset after having kids. Well, some people don't mind having kids and don't caring for them, which I think is ridiculous. You get into a relationship because you just wanted some and the some produced kids and now you don't want to look after them. I don't, I don't understand that. It, it doesn't make sense to me, you know, and you might do that in your twenties. You might even do that in your teens. So, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a wider, I think it's a wider discussion. So Justin, tell me all the things that we've spoken about, where you're at now, how does it make you feel? All the things you've achieved, children, life, your work, because you are also teacher, author, creative, you know, media personality, football coach, dad, so much to so much people and great, amazing friend as well. So how does all these things make you feel in terms of being 45? Um, I feel I'm just starting. It's the weirdest feeling ever. Um, it's, it's, it's nice to know that I've been able to do these things and a lot of people would probably settle for where they are right now. But I think that for me, it's, it really is. I do have a sense of achievement. I think the, the biggest sense of achievement was my mum telling me that she was proud of me when I finished university. I think that she, um, always knew that I was smart enough to go to university. She didn't understand the school thing when I explained the school thing to her when she was older. She said she actually apologized for sending me there. Do you know what I mean? Because she said she didn't know. Um, and also, like, my mum wearing my, 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 my brand. Like, that is hilarious. Like, she stole, she stole one of my tracksuits. I got, I got ordered the tracksuit. One off. Like, there's no, you can't get it. Rose gold. Um, zips and I was like I'm gonna this tracksuit mm. is hard so yeah nice. wicked mm. really nice yeah I've come home who's who's wearing it <laughs> see when the queen arrives oh uh, <laughs> listen and and I think I think like one of my greatest achievements is the relationship that I have with my mum I think that that relationship has really developed the older I've got um, from being a you know a rebellious teenager, rebellious twenty year old, to being a father, for, you know, and she's a great grandmother. She's a really good grandmother to my to my kids. My grand, my dad, who wasn't around when I was younger, is a exceptional grandfather. So, I think I've achieved a lot in bringing people together because you know that's my thing. I'm always trying to connect people. I'm always if you do hairdressing and this person's a model, I want you lot to all connect. If you do music and you're a rapper, I want to connect. And I think that being able to connect my family to my children and create a, a real safe environment for them to flourish and do well and be happy, um, I think that's the greatest achievement for me so far. Um, but there's so much more to do. There's so much more to do. Do you feel like you missed out on anything? Like, do you have any regrets? I think I could have done things differently. and. But then would I, would I still be the same person? If I wasn't, if I never had those experiences in school, would I be able to work in schools? Would the kids know that I genuinely know what they go through? Uh, I, you know, do, if I had saved loads of money and I had 10 houses and I was a property millionaire, 
would I have the same kind of drive to write the book? Would I want to have my own clothing line? Because I, I think that Selfridges is a ripoff. Like, would I, would I be that person? Like, and I think that you're, the older you get, the more you understand that your experiences shape the person that you are and how you deal with those experiences as you get older determine the kind of adult that you will continue to be because you can get to my stage and you can be grumpy and um, sour and salty as they, these kids say, and walk around with a chip on your shoulder thinking that, you know, the world owes you. Um, Or you can understand that, the cards that you had were not the best cards, but you've been able to do well. And you have a, a vision or a destination or destiny to provide for your children and your grandchildren an opportunity for them to live the life that you never got. And that for me is like, um, I think that that's something that people need to look at and stop being it's it's very difficult to not look back, but you have to look forward because if you're looking back, you're going to bump into stuff in your future or you're going to miss stuff in your future that you need. And at my age now, I'm going to be, I keep saying to people, I'm four years from 50, which sounds bonkers. It just, <laughs> it just sounds, I don't say I'm 45 or 40, I'm 46 this year. I'm four years from 50. Am I happy with where I am? You should never be happy with where you are. You should always want to achieve more. You want to be settled in your head. You want to be in the right type of relationships. You want to have the right friends. And you, I think 40 is a shedding year as well. Like your 40s, you shed, you get rid of so many people that you realize that they're actually toxic. I want to use other words, but they're just toxic. And there's something about getting to 40 that just removes a whole layer of people from your life. Because you've, you know, you're 40 and you, you, you start evaluating where you're at. Mm, if your friends are not, yeah, you I've said this to you, because you know, you've, you've only got a limited time left when you're in your twenties, you don't care who you're with. You could be with the most toxic people. You're just having fun. But when you're 40 now, your circles are smaller they're more intense. They have more impact on your life. So the people around you, if you're not helping me in my life in, to make money, to make me a better person, to help my kids, to love my kids properly, to be good role models to my children, to, you know, all right, I can phone you. You can come and help me change my tire. But what you, how do my children see you? Do you have interaction with my children? Can I... When you come to my house, or do you bring a good energy with you? When I come to your house, do you show love? Like if I don't have no one, if you you got people like that in your life that, and you're forty and you still got toxic people. They couldn't toxic, but me call them shit. Just call it how you see it. You got shit people in your life. I'm not. You just get rid of them. Like it is, and you know, funny thing is, you don't need to. Uh, watching um, The Breakfast uh, uh, Hot 97 and there was a guy a rapper in there I can't remember and he said you can still love them but I just I ain't gonna as they say F with you I can still love you 
but I'm just not going to F with you. So you don't have to say, you know, like when you're a kid, uh, you know, you know, when you're a teenager, you're like, I don't talk to you anymore. I don't want to talk to you. You're not my friend. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that in your 40s. You know I don't talk to you because when you call me, I don't answer my phone. Yeah? I don't call you back. And I don't call you back. I might call you back and I'll say, what is it? Was it an emergency? And you're like, no, I wanted to tell you some negative news or, you know, uh, you want to come and find out what I'm doing in my life, but you're not trying to help me in my life. Yeah, later. So my phone rings and people that call my phone are the, or people that message me are people that show love and I get love back because it's all genuine. Like I don't have, you know, and the people that, uh, that, that are not, you, you know, tight with me anymore and whatever, I still love them, but I'm just like, where I'm going, you can't come from. You know, you know, like they've got high restrictions on rides when you go Alton Towers. Yeah. <laughs> you can come Alton Towers, but you ain't getting on the ride with me. You get <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. So, what, what does the rest of the, the ride look like then? What, what, what's the future looking like for Justin? Whew. If you see the house that I'm, um, I'm, I've, I've envisaged in my. Do you know what I see? This is what I see, Winnie, yeah? So I see where I live. I see weekends where you, Shelly, my real people coming up. Shelly's been to IB for lunch. You get me? Come up. I've got like my little IB for lunch outside. We're all out drinking, reasoning, doing a video cast or Instagram live talking about these kind of things. And can Stephen come? Can Stephen come? Oh, Stephen. Stephen's my brethren. <laughs> you get me? And we'll be all out in, you know, in the garden. And the kids will be running around and we'll be we'll be discussing some kind of business venture or some kind of of, of you know social something that we'll be doing, or we'll just be talking and just having jokes or or watching a movie and being around people that show genuine love. That's how I see the journey going. And it's it's you know, Stephen might come and say, you know what. I, I want to do trading and I'm like, okay, I know someone like I'm just networking and just really connecting a small group of people that want each other to do well. And that's, that's key. That's the cornerstone of our community. What our community needs, isn't it? Those are the, those are the, the things we need. And you know, the thing, funny thing about that, if, if we do that, what do you think our children are going to do? Cause you're bringing your children with you. Your children are going to be like, oh, all these adults are sitting around drinking, discussing things. As I said earlier, you don't tell them, you show them. So they see you sitting around having good discussions and chatting and laughing. What do you think that they're going to do? They will then replicate what you do, but even better, because they'll be like, mom, you need when you have those meetings and those video calls, do you, do, do, uh, you can do it like this now. We, we can do it like that. And you set, you set into play uh, another generation that knows what shit people are early, removes toxicity early so they can get to the things earlier than what we did. And then obviously, as you said, we're in better positions to help them than, than a lot of other people um, are old want to. So, you know, people like you who are doing these things, you know, you should be applauded because it's not, it's not easy to start out on a journey to do something like this you have to have good people around you to do something like this because 
things like this start and then they fizzle out because you just don't have good people around you helping you to make the things work. Like, as you said, we've got Stephen here who's, who's sitting in the back ensuring that the audio and everything else is proper. And I have to big shout to him because shout a lot of people have Zoom. Yeah, shout out, Steve. You get me? Because a lot <laughs> of people do Zoom calls and have these podcasts and they're, sh- they're, they're not as good. And they don't <laughs> have the technical people in the background that can ensure that it's, it, it's of, a, of a certain quality. So he's given up his time. He, I'm a guest. You know, it's, it's neither here nor there for me. I'll, I'll do anything for shows. I'm a guest. He's given up his time to help you maybe every week or every once a month or whenever you're doing it. These are the people that you need in your life that are willing to do these kind of things. And he's a perfectionist. You know, he's, he, there was an issue earlier. He's a perfectionist. These, these are the people that you need. These are the people that you have close to you. So when something goes wrong, you can, you can pull on these people. And when he needs you, you can pull on him. So now you have a united That's front. Right. Yeah, and then you add more to it and then you build on it. And then by the time you look, you're 50 and you've got a team of people around you that you would be willing to hand 10 grand to. But you know, because you know, like they say, they don't, black people don't give black people money. You would have people around you would feel like, let me give you 10 grand. And you're not going to waste it because you've built that level of trust. Yeah. And you can all keep rising together. Like you, you can all, you all keep, keep rising together. Yeah. And I think something that was quite instrumental about what you said was keeping sort of your collective around you and, and then building upon that through the children. I suppose one of the concerns currently that concerns me is with social distancing and things of that sort, you're becoming more separated from meeting people that you wouldn't necessarily know, you know? So therefore you want to have a certain quality of people around you already and build on that and then they bring people into your circle and the more quality builds in that sort of way you know especially if you're not going out into the world and meeting them in the old sort of way yeah but you think about it you think the elites are not meeting well that's exactly what they must do yeah so social distancing is divide and conquer because i don't talk to you now we don't network now we don't there's no collective there's no collectivity there's nothing we, we the elites are still meeting, so we need to build our own elite. It might even be only 10 people. But if you've got five of those people and they're millionaires in your elite, you're going to hold in your own, our own elitism group. It's a whole different setup. It's like if we, like, you, you look at, it's so funny, you look at black people, partner to rotted. Standard. Yeah? <laughs> That's a collection of people that might not even like each other that are helping each other financially. Group economics, isn't it? Group economics, basic partner. So why can't we do it on social platforms? Why can't we do it in podcasts? Why can't we do it in other things and get our voices out there? Why does your podcast have to be better than my podcast? Why can't we all podcast together? And I feel like this this is a different form of protest. And I I feel like it's not just about the marching in the streets and asking people to understand us. It's also about what are you putting in place in our communities to continue this going on. You're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about group economics. We're talking about circles. We're talking about bringing our children in, you know, in different ways. And to me, that's, that's real protest. That's real change. That's bringing about real action. That's the call to action. It's not yeah. walking, asking you to make a change. It's me making a change as an individual and then within my community. And then they take you seriously. <laughs> <laughs> they take you Different seriously. podcast, getting, I know. 
So I suppose, so I suppose what I we want to end on really is what would you tell your younger self? What would you tell little Justin now, knowing what you know now? Do it all the same. But, yeah, do it all the same, but, and there'd be only one but. When people hurt you, don't hurt other people. And this is around relationships. This is around love. Like, learn to heal. And I think that a lot of decisions that I've made are based on people hurting me and then not being able to trust and move forward. And that's the only thing. Everything, all the crime, all the party, <laughs> all the <laughs> splurging money. You know, people always say, oh, go back and tell yourself to save. Yeah. <laughs> go back and tell yourself to save. No, no. I, poverty, poverty gave me a different asset. It gave me an appreciation of life that was different. Not having gave me an appreciation of life that never, I wouldn't have the drive now if I had money. I would, I would never start a clothing line if I didn't have money. If I had money, it would make no sense to me. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make no sense. So what I, I do say is that the, the situations where you were hurt in relationships or in love and you were hurt, you must never take those and hurt the next person because hurt people hurt people. It's facts. You, I, would, I would tell myself, take the time to heal. That would, be, that would be the advice to the young me. So, Justin, I hate that we have to end this. I know. How can anyone continue to get more of your amazing gems? Where, where are you on your socials? Where, where can we find you? Um, well, I'm coming back on in a couple of months, but um, <laughs> we can do part two. Welcome um, to it. Yeah, um, you can find me on... Um, on IG, um, I'm at um, Williams J Silver on IG, and I'm on Twitter at um, WJS Collection. Or you know, I don't know if you put put the. I'll send you the links, and you can put them on on the bottom. Of the yeah, podcast. we'll put them in the bio. Yeah, in the bio for your podcast and stuff. So. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on today, Justin. You shared so much. You've shared so much wealth, so much wisdom. Um, I think you've given us a really good snapshot on history um, and what it was growing up in London in a certain era at a certain age. Um, so thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you. It's been great. You know, make sure you look after Stephen, yeah? yeah we, <laughs> we, we, we will, we will. And we look forward to having you back on again, okay? Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Apple, 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 Apple,